Thank you. Boy, that is bright. <laughs> Good morning. Um, it's always great to be back at, uh, in Johnson City and uh, here at Central Baptist in particular. I and my family had eight wonderful years here, and there are still a few survivors from those years. <laughs> Not so much in this service. Uh, you tend to be a little younger and wonder who this guy is that was here so long ago. About 36 years ago, this church took a big chance on um, calling a young preacher who was still wet behind the ears from Kentucky to come down to Johnson City, and uh, this church has had a huge part in helping me uh, to grow in ministry. I'll always be grateful for that. For sure, my children did a lot of growing up here. It's just a great place to be. So I'm here really for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, is to be back in a place that I enjoy being. The other is to um, fulfill a fresh calling that I have had. Um, really, it, it began before I left. Central Baptist in Johnson City um, almost 30 years ago, 28 years ago, God was moving me into a, a journey uh, learning about um, the priority of serving others, serving people in need in particular. And a few things have happened along the way to reinforce that awareness and uh, that is culminated now in my particular journey through the writing of this book that Tommy made uh, reference to, Compassionaries Unleash the Power of Serving. So I wrote the book to get the message out about how important it is for people like you and me to be engaged in serving others in Jesus' name. And I'm here today to share a piece of that, of that message with you. Uh, I think it's a message that is appropriate for all people whether they are a part of the church or not, but it's especially appropriate for those of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus. And so that's what I'm going to be talking with you about for a few minutes here this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the Scripture passage. I'm thinking it may be yes. Uh-huh, it is on the screen, so uh, you can follow that. Um, John 13, chapter 13, we're going to be start reading at verse 3, go through verse 5, and then 12 through 17. And you'll recognize this as a very familiar story. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Then moving down to verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
Well, we know the story, don't we? I mean, this pieces of this story are something that we think about several times every year, at least on the occasion when we observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. In most Baptist churches, that's uh, approximately four times a year. I grew up thinking that it was somewhere in the Bible that you observe the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every quarter. <laughs> uh, churches have been able to be a little more flexible than that in recent years, and in some traditions, it's every Sunday. That's how familiar the events that are reported in these verses are. But that's the problem. We know it already. We're so familiar with it that we have missed perhaps some things that are there that we have not seen. Do we really know what happened in this event? Is it possible that we have overlooked something that is so significant it would change the way we view the Last Supper as well as our relationship with Jesus and doing what he said to do. So I'm going to ask you to kind of take a step back and take a fresh look at this very familiar event described for us in John 13. I believe there are some things here that if we understood them more completely would make a difference in how we go about living our Christian life. You see, no single event ever stands alone. Every event, every moment in time is part of a larger story, including the Last Supper, as we call it. The context of the event described here in John 13 is important and has a lot of things to say to us that we may have overlooked uh, in other times. So let's take a look at it uh, together. There are four plot lines, at least four that I can count, that converge there in the upper room with Jesus and the disciples. The first is what I would describe as the final four effect. And I'm referring, of course, to the final four of the NCAA basketball tournament, the culmination of uh, months of college basketball. Just like the media hype that leads up to that event, there was a um, coalescing, a... a um, crescendo of events uh, leading up to that event in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was the most popular person at this point in time in all of Palestine. If there had been any social media at the time, it would have been said that it was blowing up about Jesus. And if there were any doubts about his popularity, then those doubts were put to rest when he came into Jerusalem in the parade-like way that he did on Palm Sunday. Sometimes the disciples are described as uh, dullards and slow to pick up on what is happening around them, and there's good reason for that. But even they had to know that something big was about to happen. In my imagination, I see them arriving early at this gathering in the upper room with Jesus 
to observe Passover. I see them as arriving half anxious and half um, afraid of what might happen, what Jesus might do. I imagine them struggling to keep their expectations uh, in check. I don't know how many in this room have ever watched Andy Griffith. I, I admit to you that I'm dating myself when I even make a reference to that, but but it, it, there are some, I, my grandsons actually enjoy watching Andy Griffith. Can you believe that? I was blown away when I heard it. Well, okay, finally there's something on television we can watch together. But they do. Well, there's an episode in Andy Griffith where Barney Fife, most people know about Barney if they've, even if they've never seen, uh, played by Don Knotts, uh, where something has happened in town at the same time that Andy and his son Opie have gone fishing. And so uh, Barney finds it necessary to go and find Andy and tell him. And he drives that old Ford Fairlane uh, police car out to the lake where they are pulling their boat into shore. Uh, that is, Andy and Opie are doing that. And Barney jumps out of the car and he runs over and he says, Andy, it's big. I mean, it's big. As only Barney could do it. Well, that's kind of how I think the disciples felt as they went into that upper room, given everything that had happened up to that point. This is one of the factors, their expectations of what might happen that night, is one of the factors that helped create an explosive context for the Last Supper. The second plot line is the escalation of the heat by Jesus' enemies, the Jewish leaders. When Jesus' public ministry began, they were curious, which turned to caution, which turned to criticism, which eventually became fear and anger. Fear because some of them could see that this movement around Jesus might not have a happy ending and anger because Jesus sucked all the popularity and the power that comes with it out of the air, and they were left with nothing. The gospel writers make it very, very clear that the Jewish leaders were dead set on getting rid of Jesus, like a fire that smolders for a little bit before it eventually catches fire. Two things happened to pour gasoline on the fire and cause it to burst into uh, a complete bonfire in the case of the last days of Jesus' ministry. One was his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The other was his angry eviction of the money changers out of the temple. These were the things that for the Jewish leaders, as far as they were concerned, were like the two-by-four as opposed to the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. So when Judas showed up on their doorstep, they could not refuse his offer. I believe the disciples came to the upper room with a growing concern about where all this might lead. They had to know that Jesus' life was in danger despite his poll ratings with the people. They had to know things were coming to a head. I suspect they were feeling some of the white hot heat 
that was building around Jesus. And I can imagine easily that there were more than a few private conversations among them about what might happen to Jesus and consequently what might happen to them. I suspect they came to the upper room that night hoping that Jesus finally would share his strategy for setting up the kingdom he'd been talking so much about. A strategy that no doubt included how Jesus would take care of his enemies. All of this political chaos was coming to a boil when Jesus and the disciples came together in the upper room. Passover was another plot that came together there uh, in that room. Passover has been for centuries the way the Hebrew people remember the delivery of their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. They still, Jews today still celebrate Passover. That's a long tradition. And it's a, a tradition that is about more than just remembering something in the past. It's an opportunity to refresh their commitment to a deliverer, God. Normally, the disciples would have been with their own families for Passover. Passover, the observance of it, was scripted. A very special meal was prepared. And when the family gathered around the table, one of the children in the family would ask the question, why is this meal and why is this night different from all others? Actually, there are four questions, but they all are saying the same thing. Why is this, what is there about this that's different? And the father would answer by recounting the story of how God delivered the Hebrew people from slavery many centuries earlier. Each aspect of the Passover meal represents a different part of the story of their redemption from slavery. When Jesus and the disciples gather to observe the Passover, how do you suppose that script was modified? There weren't any children present to pose the traditional question, how is this night different? And how, uh, who, who would play the role of the father in this different kind of family? Well, knowing the Jewishness of the men who were present there and knowing the fact that Jesus was very much a father figure to the disciples, I believe they came to that upper room with the complete expectation that at some point Jesus would say the things the father of a Jewish family would say on the night of Passover. I believe they gathered around the table with their ears pricked to hear what Jesus was about to say about Passover, fully per, uh, expecting to partake of that traditional meal. But that's not what happened. Not exactly. I said earlier there were four plot lines at work. I've shared three with you. Here's the fourth. Jesus' own awareness that his work was drawing to a close. 
after all he had done and all he had said to these men he called to follow him, it came down to this evening in a room where they would observe Passover together. More importantly, it came down to the when and where he would have the last opportunity to say something that would empower these men to tell the world about him. What would he say? What new final teaching would he give them? What could he say that would stick with them? And with all generations of his followers, and that includes you and me. He didn't say anything, not at first. Instead, he took off his outer garment, wrapped himself with a towel, put water in a basin, and one by one he washed the disciples' feet. So he didn't say anything, at least not until Peter objected to Jesus washing his feet. And yet, he said so much. I'm willing to say that Jesus' humble service to the disciples in washing their feet was the most powerful sermon he ever gave. Right up there with the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Because of its context. You see, context is everything. It's the stage on which words and actions make sense. And in this case, the significance of Passover, the expectations of the disciples that Jesus was about to reveal his strategy for setting up his kingdom, the collision course on which he found himself with the Jewish leaders, and the fact that Jesus was aware that this was his last opportunity to say something of significance to them, created a, a, a situation that was like a spotlight on the events that took place there. Can you imagine a more supercharged moment that is filled with so many questions and expectations than the situation there with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room? And so what I think happened there that we have possibly missed is when you consider all of this at work at the same time, which we who are removed by so many years and culture that is vastly different from the culture of that time would miss is that Jesus elevated serving others as the highest calling a person can aspire to. So part of what I've come to say to you, and I'm saying with other groups, church groups in particular, I'm sharing the message of the priority of serving others in groups outside of church, but when I'm in a church, this is, this is what I want to say. And I can do it because I'm going to get in my car after a while and I'm going to leave town. And if you get mad at me and you disagree, well, that's okay. 
I think we've gotten it wrong in church a lot. We waste a lot of energy and time doing things that are not nearly as important. None of you here would remember this. But when I was young, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that, I remember going to Sunday school in a Baptist church and we had the six-point record system. Every child who came into Sunday school was handed a little piece of paper where you wrote your name and there were six things that you could check off. Present, on time, brought your Bible, brought your uh, offering, going to church. We didn't call it worship. We said church. That meant worship. Some people still do that. There were six things there and what the Baptist denomination was doing, whether they realized it or not, I don't think they realized it, is they were saying to us who grew up in that system, these are the important things. You've got to do these things to be right. Nowhere on that little piece of paper was there any reference to serving others. And there was very little said about it when I was growing up in church. There's more being said about it today but not enough. If you agree with me that the context of everything that was happening there in that upper room means that what Jesus did in washing the disciples' feet is of ultimate importance to his ministry and therefore for us who claim to be his followers, then we've got to reorder our priorities. We need to find time in our schedule to serve others, people in need, just like the people he ministered to. The hungry, the thirsty, the lonely, the outcasts, and so forth. We need to be giving more time to that and less time to some things to which we are giving time. I'm not naive. I know that that's not going to happen easily or quickly. Shucks. I was a Baptist preacher for more than 30 years. I know all that. But I also know it's got to start somewhere. My challenge to you today is to take a fresh look, even after this. Open up John 13 this afternoon or evening or maybe even take some time on the 4th. Besides however else you might observe the 4th of July. And read that again and see what God says to you. And if he says, serving others is that important, then just ask him to show you how you can do that. And he will. He will. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, our intention has always been to be faithful to your calling of us. We can't all be in the praise team. We can't all preach. We can't all even teach Sunday school or do some of the jobs that we think are important around the church, but we can all serve. Lord, help us to see the priority of serving others. It's not just an add-on. It's the heart of what Jesus came to show us what to do. We can see that in the upper room with the disciples. Help us to see it in that light and help us to find ways to live it out as we go about um, 
living out the Christian life as you've called us to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.